John chapter 6. I'm excited, and I wish you a Merry Christmas. Uh, it's a great privilege to be here with this family, because that is what we are. We are a family, a new covenant family, a blood-bought family. We're going to look at John chapter 6 this morning, beginning in verse 35, reading through verse 40. This is God's word to us. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you that we live in this day, that we live on this side of the incarnation, even this side of the cross and the resurrection of your Son. It truly is the year of our Lord. And we give you thanks that in the fullness of time, you had fulfilled your purposes in sending your Son to redeem sinful humanity. And so we ask that you would thrill us with the hope that we have in Christ that that would mark us even as we are pilgrims, exiles, even as we wander, as it were, through the wilderness. Lord, help us to be people who rejoice, who give thanks, who continue to look to you for life and sustenance for all that we need, not only now, but for all eternity. Lord, we praise you just even for the warmth of our homes, even as we've come through a cold week, and we are reminded that you do supply, indeed, our daily bread. And we ask, Lord, that you would provide for the needs even of those in our communities, even of those in this city who are without homes and without heat, that you would provide them with what they need. But most of all, Lord, we ask that you would direct them, that you would providentially draw them to saving faith in Jesus Christ. We ask the same even for family members and friends, even as we gather later on and over the next few days. Help us to acknowledge the lordship of Jesus Christ and even in our demeanor, our disposition, that our countenance would be one that is full of joy and hope and that we would have boldness to share the good news of the gospel. Lord, we thank you for the many churches who are gathering today and who are preaching and hearing your word together. We ask, Lord, that you would stir up your people that you would cause there to be a growth in your church, even from one degree of glory to another this morning, even as we hear your word as these other churches. And we pray in particular for our sister church in Cochrane, and for Jeff Jones and, and for our brothers and sisters out there. Lord, we do ask that you would continue to provide for them, even in this season of transition and uncertainty for them, that you would provide for them all that they need and remind them of this bountiful provision that they have in your son Jesus. We do pray as well for leaders that you have appointed over us and ask, Lord, that you would draw them to yourself, 
that they would rule in justice and righteousness, even as we've been reminded that you are king over all, that the government rests upon the shoulders of now the victorious God-man, Jesus Christ. And so we ask for the increase of his government and peace, even in this land, as people would acknowledge him, submit to him, come to him. And Father, now as we hear your word, we ask that by the power of your spirit, you would give us ears to hear, change our wills to respond appropriately to this text, to what you would have for us today. And we ask this, that you might be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the question I have for you is, did you get it all done? Did you get it all done? Did you get the gifts? Did you get the meal prepped? Did you get those cards sent? And don't forget about the in-laws. Don't forget about the in-laws, right? Did you get it all done? Well, I've got some happy Christmas news for you. If you didn't get it done, it's too late. The stores are closed today. You're going to have to wait a, a day or two to get it all done. Well, the reality is, is that Christmas is a season full of good intentions, isn't it? People have good intentions to do good, to be generous, to give gifts, to do lots of things, to spend time with family. But for many of us, like myself, it's often mission attempted or mission intended, and yet mission only partly accomplished, right? Because I'm, I'm sure there's a few of you out there that are like, yeah, I forgot, I forgot that gift for so-and-so, and it better not be your spouse. But the reality is, is that in this dizzying season, it often can remind us of all the unfinished business that's out there, isn't it? We come to the end of the year, and we're reminded of, man, I've got this and that to do, to finish off. Unlike us, though, God always finishes what he plans. God's intentions are always fulfilled. And so this morning, even as we come to this text, this well-known text, as Jesus declares himself the bread of life, I want us to celebrate. That's what I want us to do this morning, is I want us to celebrate, to rejoice. That's the proper disposition of a Christian. Even as we recognize there's difficulties and trials, we are a people to be marked by celebration and joy of gratitude to God. And I want us to celebrate, even as we focus our attention this morning, on God's generous and gracious will to give soul-satisfying, death-defying, never-ending life to those who believe in his son Jesus, the bread of heaven. Now this morning as I was driving in here, I was reminded of the, the Petra song. Now you guys are probably thinking, this guy doesn't know Petra. I do know Petra. You know Petra, the rock band from the 80s? Petra, he came, he saw, he conquered. Now, that song's probably going to be running through some of your heads, right? He came, he saw, he conquered. Well, in this text, we see that Jesus, he came, he submitted, and he secured eternal life for the people given to him by his Father. He came, he submitted, and he secured eternal life. And what we're going to see, what Jesus shows us in this text is that God's generosity, his generous and gracious will, it works actually in two directions. It, it works in two directions. First, we see that God gives a gift from heaven, and then secondly, that God gives a gift from the world. 
And then third, we're going to see the proper response to that gift. That is, that we must come and eat the bread of life if we are to receive eternal life. So those are the three kind of main observations. We're thinking sort of directionally here. A gift from heaven, a gift from earth, and then how is it that we come and enter into the enjoyment of that gift so that we can celebrate together? And I do so with the aim, as I said, of having you celebrate. But for those of you, there's some here that are maybe coming with your family. Maybe this is your first time in church, or you've, you've come to church the odd time. Maybe Christmas is the season that you regularly attend church. And you've never come to Christ. You've never believed in him. You think of him in just sort of far-off, distant ways. The only time that you think of him is maybe Christmas or Easter. And my desire, which I believe is the aim of this text, is that you would come to Christ and receive eternal life for the first time today. And for those of us, many of you here, who have come and received life, it is then that we would have this proper disposition of celebration, of gratitude, because what we see is that that is actually the opposite of what Israel did in the wilderness and what Israel even was doing here in this text. You see there in verse 41, note how they responded to Jesus' words. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. It's an echo of Israel's entire pilgrimage through the wilderness. They were a grumbling people, an ungrateful people, an idolatrous people. And so the response that we are to have is one of belief and gratitude to the fact that God has given us this great gift from heaven and even given us, too, the bread of life. So we're going to focus this morning on particularly verses 35 through 40 because what they do is they summarize, I think, in a concise way, the entire section that runs from verses 22 through 59. But for the sake of time, we're going to look at verses 35 to 40 as kind of the summary text. So this morning, first of all, I want us to think of that first direction that God gives That is, God gives to us a gift from heaven, noted as the bread of life. God gives us a gift from heaven, the bread of life. You see there Jesus, in verse 35, said to them, I am the bread of life. Now, John 6, you have to understand, this helps you even interpret properly what John says later on about eating Jesus' flesh and drinking his blood, this kind of strange saying. But you have to understand that John 6 is a very symbolic passage. Uh, there's this metaphor of bread, and this theme of bread of life is central then. It's, it's woven throughout the entire text. Now, some of you, I bet, have had those in-house debates, maybe around your Christmas table, and you've had those debates about whose grandma makes the best bread, right? You know, my grandma, she's got the secret recipe. You know, some recipe that came from some ancient time. It's been passed down for years. Grandma's got the best bread. Well, your grandma, I might grant to you that your grandma has great bread, although I think my grandma has great bread too. Your grandma might have great bread, but I can guarantee that that bread, if you eat it, it might satisfy your palate and your stomach for a couple hours, but it's not going to satisfy you for eternity, is it? So put simply, when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he's saying to you, He's no ordinary bread. This ain't your grandma's bread we're talking about, right? This ain't grandma's bread. This is the bread of life, bread from heaven. And Jesus intentionally identifies himself as the bread of life because he shares 
some similarities to the essence of bread. And more specifically, he is what we could say is the typological fulfillment of this event, which we read about back in Exodus 16. We're not going to turn there, but in Exodus 16, we are told that God provided manna from heaven for Israel in the wilderness. He had brought them out of Egypt. They were in the wilderness. They had no food. They were complaining, and God graciously gave them this manna from heaven, daily bread, each day, enough for them to survive. And Jesus says he's the ultimate fulfillment of that event in the Old Testament. If you look back at verse 32, listen to what Jesus said. Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. So, so they're confused. They, they're thinking just in earthly terms. They're thinking of just getting their bellies satisfied. But Jesus says, no, no, no. What happened in Exodus 16, that was just a shadow of what was to come. And now the bread from heaven has been given. The Father has sent the Son. Bread from heaven to give life to the world. To a world that deserves death to a world under the curse, to a world that is starving in darkness. Now, as I said, Jesus intentionally uses this analogy between himself and the bread of life. I am the bread of life because he shares some similarities to bread. For one, we could say bread has material existence, and Jesus, the Son sent from heaven, has material existence. It's, it's one of the mysteries of our faith is that God who is spirit takes on flesh. That he becomes a man. A true human body and true human nature. Jesus is God the Son incarnate. That's what we celebrate in his first coming. That he became a man. So just as bread has material existence, Jesus has real material existence. I was doing the nitpicky pastor thing this week with my family and it sometimes drives them nuts of picking apart the beloved songs of Christmas. You know, away in a manger. Well, there's that line in there, away in a manger, no crying he makes. Right? Well, no, no, Jesus cried. He was a real baby, just like any of your children. He cried. He kept his mom up at night. He probably gave her a few gifts of long, sleepless nights, Right? Now, Jesus was a real human, and he had to be a real human in order to come and save human beings. And yet, we see that this is a distinct, one-of-a-kind bread. He is bread from heaven, and he shares even the same fullness of deity as his Father. That is, he is one with the Father. He's distinct as the Son, and yet he is one in essence with the Father, communicated very clearly in Jesus' self-conscious announcement when he says, I am the bread of life. Jesus there is thinking back to Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, when God reveals himself to Moses by the name, I am who I am. That is, I am the self-existent God. I just am. I don't get my existence from someone else. I am and I've always been and I always will be the same God from eternity past to eternity future. And so Jesus here is identifying himself very clearly as the God-man. And he has a very self-conscious awareness of it. 
You know, you'll hear people saying, well, Jesus didn't even claim to be God. No, Jesus very clearly claimed to be God. And he understood that he was. And he also understood that he was a real man and he, he felt what it was like to live as a human being. Now, friends, I don't know where a lot of these Christmas traditions start from. I don't know where these, you know, these things in the aisle, where this tradition of pine trees and lights and all that kind of stuff, where it started. I don't know where the Christmas tree tradition started. I don't know where some of your family traditions started. But I do know one thing. I do know that the tradition of giving gifts is one that started far beyond even the existence of you and me. That is, God himself is generous. He is generous. He is a gift-giving God. And so it is right, it's fitting actually, for Christians and for all people to give good gifts to their children. Our Father knows how to give good, give, give good gifts to his children, doesn't he? He knows how to give good gifts to his children. The best is his son. And, of course, this is where God himself and the mythical man in the red suit part ways, don't they? Right? Santa might seem like a jolly old fellow. He might seem like just a a harmless fellow. But he's actually a wicked, deadly legalist. He is. He's a legalist. He's like the Pharisees. He comes there and, and says, I am going to... I am going to give gifts to you based on your performance. And God says the exact opposite. I'm going to give gifts to you undeserved. I'm going to give you my son undeserved. Uh, I saw this week uh, that, you know, those ugly sweater contests. I saw one with John Calvin, his face on it. It says, we're all on the naughty list. We are. We're all on the naughty list. And yet, God has willed to send his son as the bread from heaven. So imitate God by generously giving the best of your time and your talents and your treasures. That's right for us to be a generous people. And it's also proper, as I said earlier, that we would be a people who are not grumbling but full of gratitude. See, we can all fall prey to the false belief that God owes us something And that quickly turns into a grumbling as we see here in Israel. So let me ask you, do you think that God owes you something better than you have? A better marriage? A better bank balance? Job? Future? Children? What is it that you think that God owes you? Do you think that you deserve anything other than eternal death? See, when we live with this kind of entitlement, well then, as soon as things don't go our way, as soon as the trial comes, as soon as that person does something to us that we don't appreciate, well then we become grumbling. We start pointing the finger at God and saying, how dare you? And yet when we understand the fact that we are worldlings, and yet God has sent his son to us. See, in John's gospel, when John talks about giving life to the world, John is not simply focusing on the bigness of the world. In fact, I would argue that he's not focusing primarily on the bigness of the world, but the badness. How bad the world is. How dark they are. That they are rebellious people who love darkness. That's what the world 
is. And that's the kind of people to whom God graciously sent his son and the son willingly came to save. So generosity and gratitude. Brothers and sisters, let that mark us. Generosity and gratitude. And if you need some motivation, if you're feeling like, yeah, I'm kind of I'm angling towards the grumbling mode here. And I'm a little bit grinchy and stingy. Well, then I encourage you that you've got to come back here and you need to behold the generosity of God. That's what's going to free your hands up. So that's the first direction. God's generous will, he gives us true bread from heaven. But the second direction of God's generous will is that God gives to his son a gift from the world. God gives to his son a gift from the world. You see, Jesus is the bread of life, and he came self-consciously on a mission of submission. As I said, he came, he submitted. He is a, it's a mission of submission where he came to accomplish his Father's will to secure eternal life for a particular people that God his Father has given to him. Look there with me at verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. See, Jesus' entire earthly life as a man was lived in glad and perfect submission to his Father's will. That is, according to Jesus' human nature, he was tempted in every way that you are. He was tempted to go and do his own thing, to you do you, right? That's the language of the culture, you do you. Jesus felt those temptations to go his own way, and yet, unlike Adam and unlike Israel and unlike you and me, Jesus perfectly submitted himself to his Father's will. Even as that will was to crush him. See, it was the will of the Lord, even as we echo Isaiah, it was the will of the Lord to crush him, to crush his son. Isaiah foretold that 700 years earlier. And it's a reminder then that even at this Christmas season, we are not saved by the mere incarnation of Christ. If Jesus came and was born and he sinned like you and I, he's liable to the same judgment. But he didn't. Where the rest of the world fails, Jesus succeeds. And so we then swap the penalty of eternal death for the gift of eternal life based upon the perfectly submissive life of the incarnate Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus tells us, if you go down to verse 51, he specifies how far his submission will take him. Verse 51, he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now God the Son himself does not die, but Jesus the Son 
the incarnate Son gives His human life for people. He gives His life, His flesh for the world in a substitutionary way. See, where we fail, Jesus succeeds, and then we who believe in Him, we enter into the blessings of Jesus' successful mission. All that Jesus did becomes ours. And yet what we deserve, that is the judgment of God, Jesus takes as He gives His own flesh for the world. Jesus' successes, His accomplishments become ours, and our sin is put upon Him. And to be very clear, friends, the world that He dies to secure this eternal life for It's not all people without exception, but it is specified there as all the Father, in verse 37, all that the Father gives me. All that the Father gives me. I don't know if, I I was kind of struck by that this Christmas. We, We recognize God's gift to us of His Son. But we don't often think about the fact that in a real sense, If you're a Christian, you are God's gift to the Son. You are God's gift to His Son. An inheritance, as it were, that God loves, that Jesus secures that eternal life for. He comes, He gives His life for those people. See, as one man put it, God loves all people in some ways and some people in all ways. The people given to the Son by this sovereign choice of the Father are a special people that He died and rose to save and that He holds for eternity. He's never going to lose. You see, Jesus, what we see here is Jesus giving us a little bit of a glimpse into this pact of redemption, this covenant of redemption between the Father and Son that was planned from eternity past. Uh, the Puritan John Flavel or Flavel, however you want to pronounce his name, he kind of creatively summarized what this might sound like. Flavel says, quote, Here you may suppose the Father to say, when driving his bargain with Christ for you, My son, here is a company of poor, miserable souls that have utterly undone themselves and now lie open to my justice. Justice demands satisfaction for them or will satisfy itself in the eternal ruin of them. What shall be done for these souls? And thus Christ returns. O my Father, such is my love to you and pity for them, that rather than they should perish eternally, I will be responsible for them as their surety. Bring in all your bills that I may see what they owe you. Lord, bring them all in, that there may be no after-reckonings with them. At my hand shall you require it. I will rather choose to suffer your wrath than they should suffer it. Upon me, my Father, upon me be all their debt. And the father responds, but my son, if you undertake for them, you must reckon to pay the last might. Expect no abatements. If I spare them, I will not spare you. Content, father, let it be so. Charge it all upon me. I am able to discharge it. And though it prove a kind of undoing to me, though it impoverish all my riches, empty all my treasures, yet I am content to undertake it. Friends, that is the generosity of God to the world. And if you're a believer, that is what Christ has done for you. That is what the Father has willed 
for you. See, God gives us his son and us to his son. And in him we have life. And what we have here then is this, these two directions, as it were, two streams coming together. What a great picture, picture then of the true union that believers have in Jesus Christ, the Son, the bread from heaven. The Son is given to us. We are given to the Son such that Jesus can later on say in verse 56, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. It's this great union. The Son given to us and us given to the Son such that we have eternal life and that eternal life is a wonderful life. It's a life of heavenly quality and quantity. The bread of life satisfies the hunger of the soul. Back in verse 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The reality is, is that some of you are quite miserable because you refuse to come and eat the bread offered to you. You're, you're hungering. You're, you're not created to be satisfied by material things, by hobbies, or even by great human relationships, as good and as much of a gift as those are. That was not meant to satisfy you for eternity. It cannot. You were created for God. As Augustine said, we are restless until we find our rest in Thee. Only the bread of life can satisfy your deepest cravings. And what is it that you crave? What is it that is universal for human beings to crave? Well, they crave security. They crave hope. They crave even acceptance. Acceptance by someone and something greater than themselves, don't they? It's hardwired into the fabric of humanity. And you can go looking around and trying to find satisfaction in all these other things, and yet you're going to feel empty. You're going to keep coming back hungry, and yet Jesus says, I have come, and I am the bread of life, and if you come to me, you will no longer hunger. Only the bread of life can satisfy because only he can deal fully and finally with your sin that condemns you, with that guilty conscience that nags at you in a far Worse way than that grumbling stomach. Only he can deal with the fear of death that holds you in bondage. Because he has defeated death and disarmed the enemy. So are you feeling a lack of satisfaction? Like your soul is always hungering for more. More hope. More love. More acceptance. Jesus is saying, come. Come. You'll no longer hunger. You'll no longer thirst. I'll give you what you need. As I said, sometimes we lack satisfaction because there's a lack of even a sense of security, which we also see the bread of life secures resurrection for the believer on the last day. So he satisfies the soul and he secures resurrection. Look there again at verse 39. And this is the will of him who sent me, 
that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. See, Jesus loses nothing of the people that the Father has elected and given to him. And that nothing includes the entire person, body and soul. Jesus took on a body and a soul, a human body and a human soul, and obeyed his Father in a body, and he died in the body, he was buried in the body, and he was raised in the body. Such that those who then are brought to him, who abide in him, as it were, receive that same kind of life. That is, on the last day, Jesus will raise up every true believer. Christian, take comfort in the promise that if you have come to him, Jesus Christ, the bread from heaven, he will never lose you, and he will certainly raise you. He will never lose you, and he will certainly raise you. Think of Mary and Joseph, that famous story of when Jesus is in the temple, they're heading back, and they lose Jesus, right? They lose Jesus. Yet the amazing thing is that if Mary and Joseph, and we know Mary was a believer, but if Mary and Joseph were believing in their son as the Messiah, Jesus never lost them, ever. There's a curious detail here in the context of John 6. Jesus has fed the 5,000. And he instructs his disciples, if you look back at verse 12, Jesus instructs his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. It's a little detail we can kind of skip over. But what I think is emphasized here is the fact that the Son himself, this bread from heaven, he is so focused on the details of life. And if he's focused on the details of gathering up leftover fragments of bread, he is not going to lose the people given to him by the Father, the people that he died to save. They're secure. Christian, you are forever secured by Jesus and ultimately for resurrection life on the last day, which speaks of Jesus' second advent, his second coming. See, even in death, granted the, mo the most frightful experience, even in death, you are never separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That is, there are millions, countless people that have lived and died and been buried in the ground. And Jesus knows where every last one of them is. And he's going to raise them up on the last day. Believer, you are forever secure by Christ. That's why we sing, he will hold us fast. It's not based on the strength of us holding on to Jesus. It's Jesus who never loses us. Jesus is God's gift to us, and in a surprising way, we are God's gift to him, secure for soul-satisfying, death-defying life. See, there is no getting around this predestinarian reality of eternal life. God does not apologize for saying that there are some who are chosen by the Father to receive Christ by faith, and that Jesus came to give life to these. 
God freely wills to bring the bread of life to men and men to the bread of life, lest any of us be proud and think that God owes us or that we somehow figured it out on our own. So we rejoice in this. And yet, from the human perspective, we see all over this text, there is a responsibility to actively come, verse 35, or believe, to look on the sun, as we see in verse 40, and even to eat of this bread. And so, the final exhortation to you this morning from Jesus himself is to come and eat the bread of life. Come and eat the bread of life. You see, just as bread is no good to a person just simply sitting on a shelf, Jesus is of no personal and eternal benefit to those who simply admire him from afar or to those who just have nothing to do with him at all, think he's just a complete lunatic. True faith, what we see here, true faith is not intellectual assent to certain facts about Jesus. It's much more than that. See, if I come to your family dinner this afternoon, and you go on ranting and raving about, oh, this is, look at this food. This is my favorite food. I love this food. I can't wait to eat this food. It's so good. And yet you just sit there looking at it. That food is of no benefit to you, and I'd say, you don't actually believe it. Right? You say you do, but you don't actually believe it. No, no, no. Believing is proven by the fact that you consume it. And that then is how you gain the benefits of even the nourishment, even the enjoyment of that food. Likewise, as I said, you can admire Jesus from a distance or you can just go on doing your own thing, but until you actively rely on him in a manner that is akin to eating food for basic survival, for nourishment, then you have no eternal life because you don't have true faith. Yet when you do, when you come to him, when you come to him and put your confidence in him, when you rely on the life of Jesus and his life of perfect submission and the giving of his flesh as payment for your sins, when you rely on, as it were, Jesus' missionary merits, then you come to enjoy all the benefits of the life that he secured. So there's a mystery of divine sovereignty and yet human responsibility here. Let me just make an application to the kids here this morning. You kids have the great privilege of being raised in a Christian home, of hearing the gospel, of being taught the Bible. It's a great privilege. But the reality is just like your parents can't eat for you, they can't believe for you. Your, ki- your parents can't believe on your behalf. They can point you in the direction, they set the food before you, but you must personally come and receive Jesus as the only one who can save you. And when you do, the promise is that he will not turn you away. He will never cast you out. No, no, no. He gives you life instantly, immediately. Maybe you feel like you're kind of lost in the flurry of the busyness of life. Your parents are busy. The world is busy. 
And I think kids especially can feel like they're sort of ignored or second tier. They get lost in the hustle and bustle, especially the last couple years. Honestly, that's been my biggest burden is the kids. Well, the reality is, is that humans will fail you. Your parents will fail you. But you come to Jesus, and there's life, and there is security. And so, I urge the children here, as I urge all of you who have not believed, to come and receive Jesus and receive the life that he came and secured for the people given to him. Don't be like the crowds in verse 36 who said, Jesus admonishes and says, I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. You can't say now that you have not seen Jesus. You've heard about him. Maybe this is the first time. But, but you've seen something of him. I trust even this morning. Do not go away unbelieving. Do not be like those crowds who are constantly demanding that Jesus just do one more thing to prove himself worthy of their trust. Just give us one more sign. Come to him and receive the life that he secured. And for those of us who have come, who have eaten, I encourage you to keep coming to Christ. That is, faith has an enduring quality. Just like we got to come to the meal every day, we got to keep coming and trusting in Christ. And by God's grace, He will hold us fast. He will hold us fast even believing. Because I know what it's like. Sometimes it seems like my faith is just about to fail. And you're, you're maybe afraid that your faith is going to fail. That's when you got to come back to the assurance of the promise here. You know, Jesus is going to hold me. He's not going to lose He's not going to lose me. This security doesn't create passive, sin-indulging Christians, but glad, joyful, repenting, persevering, gospel-sharing, worshiping Christians. That's what it creates. Because we recognize that all of this, all of these gifts, the fact that God has sent His Son to us and He has given us from the world to His Son, all of this is undeserved. So brothers and sisters, feed daily then on the success of Jesus' mission. Your missions may fail, your intentions may fail, but Jesus' intentions never will. The Father's intentions never will. So celebrate that and rest assured that he will never lose you and he will certainly raise you if you come to him. Let's pray. So, Father, we thank you for this good word of hope. And, Lord, I pray specifically even now for the children here that they would come and believe, that they would receive Jesus as the bread of life, that they might be saved. Father, you don't need us, but you are glorified in saving a people. And so do this. We ask that you would save those that you have given to the Son and that you would keep us enduring and keep us confident in the hope of the gospel even as we are reminded that you will lose nothing. Give us this great hope and feed us on this 
promise, even today and for the rest of our lives, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand and let's sing together. <laughs> That's a great way to end Christmas Day. If you're here today and the message has hit you and you want to talk, I'll be up here for a few minutes after the service. Feel free to come chat. Let me leave you with this benediction from Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. Right? There is life in Jesus. Come to him today and receive that life and keep persevering in the faith, brothers and sisters, even with gratitude for all that God has done. Go in peace and Merry Christmas.